to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so excited that you're here. I know that there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I am really grateful that you have chose to spend time listening to me. So I want to give you a really tangible episode today. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about the general framework of how I'm training, how I'm forming rules, boundaries, all of that good stuff. But before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to, you know, kind of touch base. Um, Life has been really good here in Colorado. We're transitioning from winter to spring back to winter pretty regularly. So about par for the course for this time of year. Uh, The dogs and I continue to get out for our weekly hikes. It is amazing. The business is growing. I'm busy creating all kinds of amazing content. So for those of you who may be new to the podcast and maybe don't know yet, we have an online coaching program for reactive dog owners entitled Reactive Redefined. And we have done some pretty amazing things in that program. We have connected with so many amazing dog guards and we have really helped them to kind of take their training to the next level. So if you are new to dog training and you're not really sure what reactive means, basically we're describing a dog who maybe is a little extra. So maybe they lunge, they bark, they whine, they jump more than we really want them to. Um, at dogs and people and skateboards and squirrels. So if that sounds like your dog, we have a free program. Um, We made a free mini course of the full version of Reactive Redefined that you can access by heading over to our website, agoodfeelingdogtraining.com, and you can just click uh, free resource and that will get you right to the free Reactive Redefined mini course. And if you like that, um, we are going to continue to offer the group program. Um, The next uh, group program will open for enrollment in July. So give that a look. It's a wonderful resource. And even if your dog is just mildly reactive, super helpful. If your dog is super reactive, also there's great tips and tricks for you in there. So yeah, that's what's going on around here. Um, We're just living our best lives. If you're new to the podcast, I am an eternal optimist. So I always have something to celebrate and be grateful for. So let's talk about the framework of dog training, shall we? So I want to just kind of give you a bullet point of just the general guidelines. And then I want to kind of dive into each guideline and kind of dispel some myths and give you some specific tangible stuff you can be using right away as we dive into those. So um, I am a positive reinforcement trainer. And essentially what that means is that I'm doing everything in my power to tell the dog when they're doing it right and trying to negate any things that the dogs don't like in the situation. So that's kind of like the general framework. And I break that down into a couple principles that I really follow. So one of which being LIMA, L-I-M-A, which stands for least intrusive, minimally aversive. So for those of you who are listening, when I am talking about aversive, and maybe you're not exactly sure, I want to kind of define that for you a little bit. So aversive is based on the individual. So in this case, our dog. And aversive is essentially anything that 
is unpleasant enough that it may decrease the likelihood of the dog doing something again. So um, maybe the dog doesn't love getting their harness on. So you just corner them and put it on them and they find that aversive. So the next time you go to get the harness out, they're going to move away from you because they found the experience of getting harnessed up aversive. We can't always avoid aversives, okay? So I think that there is a lot of back and forth in the dog training community about this and, you know, people being like, you can never be force-free. You're always There's always going to be an aversive. And it's true, right? We're going to do our best. That's why it's least intrusive, minimally aversive because we honor and we recognize that some things are just going to be found aversive by the dog and we can't always take those out of the equation. But generally speaking, we're going to try and make it the least amount of aversive we possibly can. So that is a framework that I think that everyone can absolutely follow, right? How can we make this the least intrusive and minimally aversive? Okay. So that's kind of like the first thing that I'm focusing on when I'm looking at the framework for how I'm going to approach training a dog and also helping the people in the equation. So I think that Uh, positive reinforcement obviously is next, right? How often, how frequently can I tell the dog when they're doing exactly what I want? Something that I usually give is just general advice to my clients is just like have treats in your pocket. And every time your dog does something you want them to do, mark and reward. If you are new to dog training and you're not sure what a mark is, I'm talking about a marker word. Um, I typically use yes, you could use a clicker. So that's just acting to tell the dog exactly what we want. And then we're following it up with the food reinforcement. Okay, so we're definitely looking at positive reinforcement. I think that's something that is also important to unpack a little bit on that is that reinforcement is more than just food. Right. So obviously we use food as reinforcements a lot because they're easy to control and dispense. But a reinforcement, again, is up to the individual. In this case, your dog, your dog gets to decide what they find reinforcing. Okay, so um, let me give you an example. So Tiva finds verbal praise really reinforcing. And I know that because when I talk to her and I tell her how good she is, her little ears go forward and her tail starts wagging and she's like, oh yeah, she's talking about me. So in that context, she finds verbal praise reinforcing, right? So I could use that reinforcement to increase the likelihood of another behavior that I wanted. Um, something that Tiva does not find reinforcing is petting. She likes to be pet sometimes, but she doesn't really find it reinforcing. So like if she was doing something right, I would not reach to pet her because to her as an individual, she does not find petting reinforcing. Okay. On the flip side of that, Waylon finds petting really reinforcing. So like say I'm out and he sees a dog and then he checks in with me. I'm going to tell him good boy. and I'm going to give him some booty scratches and he finds that reinforcing. So what I've done is I use just booty scratches as a reinforcer to increase the likelihood that the next time he sees a dog, he will look at me instead of pulling towards the dog. So when we're looking at reinforcers, I want you all to really think outside of the box. Obviously you can keep using food. I don't want you to stop using food, but just remember that there are a lot of other things in the 
environment that your dog finds reinforcing. And when you know those things, what we can start to do is leverage that information and use it systematically to get more of what we want. Okay, so um, if you are new to the podcast, I want you to go back. I think it was episode like 20 something. I did an episode entitled the eat your vegetables of dog training. I really want you to give that episode a listen because that gives you more tangible steps you can take to implement other reinforcers in your training program. Okay, so to recap, least intrusive, minimally aversive, positive reinforcement. Those are definitely parts of the framework of my dog training. Something else that is essential to the framework of dog training is management. Management being manipulating the environment to ensure the most success. You cannot always be training, but your dog is always learning. Let me say that again. Just because you're not always training doesn't mean that your dog isn't always learning. Your dog is always gathering information. They're always being reinforced or punished depending on what's happening in the moment, whether you are involved or not. So it's really important that we use management when we cannot be actively training if we need to prevent the dog from doing a behavior that maybe isn't productive for them or maybe we just don't want to see. Management is an essential part of the framework of how I train, right? Because the dog is always learning and you can't be in trainer mode 24-7. You, don't, you shouldn't have to be in, in trainer mode 24-7. So remember that management is an integral part of, of the framework of how we're, we're training here, okay? So when you can't actively be training, you need to be using management to get the desired outcome and behavior from your dogs. Something else that I think is really important in the framework of how I train is acceptance, acceptance being honoring who our dogs are for the genetic makeup that, you know, makes them up. Um, I know that I did an episode on the book Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy. If you missed that episode, you never heard of the book. Um, It is in my suggested reading list on my Amazon shop. Um, You can find that link over on my Instagram page. Um, You can find the, the Amazon shop to find that book. But she breaks down a lot of the breed groups and the characteristics and explains why some dogs are the way that they are. Something we have to accept is that we can't change our dog's genetics. So um, if you have a doodle and they are barky, some of that is just part of who they are as a genetic individual. If you have a herding breed and they lunge at things in motion, some of that is just who they are as a genetic individual. If you have a large breed dog, like a mastiff type dog, and they're territorial at home, That's just part of who they are as a genetic individual. That doesn't mean that we can't modify and manage to get desired outcomes, but I think we also have to accept who our dogs are as genetic individuals, Um, not even just genetic individuals, but also just individuals, right? Um, Because not no one dog is the same. Um, But yeah, I think that some of the framework is just accepting, right? That like some of the stuff that your dog does is normal and there's no needing to change that. And I think that it really highlights honoring our individual dog's preferences 
um, and doing our best to fill their cup to the best of our ability, right? And I know that this is something that is really hard, especially I know that a lot of you are transitioning from you have lost a beloved dog and you have brought in a new dog into your life and transitioning your lifestyle from what you used to do with your old dog to what you're doing with your current dog. And I hear you. I really do. I am human. It is hard to like change and modify your life. But I think the sooner you can accept the dog in front of you and make some tweaks so that your outings, what you're doing with them are suiting you both, the easier both of your lives are going to be. Okay, so I think that acceptance is also another essential part of this framework. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about the most fun. And the last part of the framework is, quote unquote, rule breaking. And in the rule breaking, I like to look at um, the individual dog and then the individual humans and then their lifestyle and what is important to them in their life with their dog. So I don't think that all dogs need quote unquote obedience. If you are new here, I really despise the word obedience. I like the word life skills. That is what I choose to label it. I don't think that every dog needs obedience. I really freaking don't. I think that you need to be able to effectively communicate with your dog. And if that is through, you know, lots of trained obedience, that's great too. But I don't think that it's essential to the framework. Okay. I think that as a baseline for me. And, you know, for those of you who are listening and you don't know a ton about me, I own and run a dog training business in Denver, and I have been seeing clients in their homes doing behavior modification. I taught so many group classes. I have worked with people in a lot of capacities in training for the last almost 10 years. So I have a big range of um, perspective here because I have worked with I mean, I'm probably at like thousands of people and dogs at this point. Okay. So just to give you a little bit more insight there. Um, So from that perspective, I think that there are really three behaviors that I think that are essential. And outside of that, I think that there's a lot of room for rule breaking, meaning, you know, there's no rule that your dog has to be crated if they don't like being in a crate. So the three behaviors that are essential in my framework is one, the dog's just general response to their name so that we can use that as a baseline to get their attention to get them to do what else we need, okay? So I definitely think that every dog needs to know their name and needs to have a lot of reinforcement history for responding to their name. I think that every dog needs to have a general concept of don't move for a second. So I call that wait. I don't think it has to be a formal like sit, stay or down, stay. I really don't. But if your dog has the general framework, if you ask them to just wait and not move for a couple of seconds, they understand how to do that. Okay, so name, wait, and then as the final behavior, I love a hand target, a nose touch. It is so versatile, y'all. And honestly, I really feel like if all your dog ever knew was their name, how to wait, and a nose touch, you would still be wildly successful. And like I said, not that there's not a lot of other behaviors we can teach dogs to their benefit, but I don't think that like every single dog needs to know how to sit, stay, Really, I don't think that every dog needs to know how to walk perfectly on the leash. I just don't think that that's essential to making life successful for both the people and the dogs. So 
that is, you know, just the basics of behaviors that I think that your dog should know. Um, I'm sorry. Can you guys hear Tiva? I, I had the nerve to lock her out of my room while I was recording this podcast. <laughs> okay. So those are the general behaviors that I think that your dog should know, right? Name, weight, and touch. But I think that there are is a lot of room for real rule breaking, right, in this framework. So I want to give you a couple of examples of rule breaking and what I mean by that. So um, let me give you an example, a personal example. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you have seen me post about this before. But Waylon loves to be on top of this picnic table in our backyard. And that is a rule that I was willing to break, right? I think that society has this no dogs on table rule and not that that isn't without merit, but in this particular circumstance, Waylon likes to sun himself on this table. It doesn't cause any harm. He will get off of the table if I need him to. We can communicate effectively if I need him not to, but that's a rule that we have broken, right? A society's rule, dogs can never be on tables, I disagree. Waylon likes to sun himself on this table. We let him do that. Um, And I think that this is individual to you and your dog, but you need to remember it's your dog, your rules, right? And I think as long as your dog isn't going to harm others or themselves, I think that there is a lot of room for rule breaking, okay? So I want to give you another example. Um, You should never feed your dog from the table. Break that rule. I feed my dogs from the table all the time. It's not causing any problems, right? The dogs understand that sometimes we sit down, sometimes we hand them food. It's no big deal. But that's individual to my dog. So I think you have to look at your individual dog. So I want to give you an example of where I think that I wouldn't break the the table rule. So I have some lovely clients who have Labradoodles who are just fantastic dogs. They've got amazing personalities, but they have propensities to do a lot of barking if they are not getting their desired outcome. And I think that something that could happen with like a dog like that is that if you're feeding them from the table, they may then start barking at you to feed them from the table. So this is stuff that you have to look at your individual dog. Can you get away with breaking the rules here or do you need to keep the rules because your dog is not capable of keeping their cool. I hope that this is making sense, right? Like kind of applying this framework to your individual dog. So I want to give you another example of rule breaking. So I let my dogs jump on people and I want to tell you why. So one, Tiva is sweet as pie and people love her and she's not very big and people want her to jump on her. (laughs) <laughs> on them, excuse me. So that's something, I mean, she's almost 14. She's jumped on people her entire life. We just let her do it, right? She's not harming anyone. She's not pushing anyone down. It's fine. Waylon, on the other hand, jumps on people. And that's not really because I wanted to break the rules. That's because I put no effort into training a different behavior. And again, people love Waylon. They wanted them him to jump on them. So that's a rule that we have broken, Right. I will say that that comes with a caveat that if there is a situation in which I need him not to jump, I have to use management. That is easy for us. Right. So if there's a situation where I think Waylon is going to jump and I don't want him to jump, he's just on a leash and I'm just reinforcing him for paying attention to me and not jumping on the thing. So I just want you all to understand that you can absolutely break society's rules of what dogs should and shouldn't be, but you need to look at who your dog is as an individual and make sure that there's not going to be any fallout, fallout meaning unintended consequences that we don't really want and is probably not safe for the dog. 
something else I want to just clarify on because I, I get so many questions about it is that it is absolutely fine for your dog to sleep in your bed. There are, however, reasons why your dog should not sleep in the bed. So Waylon does not sleep in the bed with us, and that's because he is a bed hawk. That's really the only reason, and because I just want to rest peacefully. He snuggles in the bed with, the, with us very frequently, but at night, he doesn't sleep in bed with us. That's a reason why. But if you love snuggling with your dog and they do not interrupt your sleep, your dog can 100% sleep in bed with you. Um, So yeah, there are a lot of examples of where you can break rules, but again, you just need to insert your individual dog into that equation and kind of play out like, if we do this, what's going to be the long-term outcome here? Okay. So just to recap y'all, my framework for training is first and foremost, Lima, least intrusive, minimally aversive. Then I'm utilizing positive reinforcement training techniques. I am always managing the environment when necessary. I am helping myself and my clients accept who their dogs are as individuals. And I am pretty frequently breaking society's rules of what dogs should and should not do. So I want to just kind of wrap it up here by giving you some perspective on really when you embrace and you utilize this framework, what that yields in the long term. It's important to understand that if you have an adolescent or young dog, you're not going to get to fluency with this, meaning it's like easy for you both until they're a little bit older. There are normal ebbs and flows. If you have not listened to the episode entitled Surviving Your Teenage Dog, if you have a teenage dog, listen to that episode. Um, but the the timeline in this, right? So to give everyone some more perspective here, Waylon is four years old, and I have applied this whole this framework his entire life. And I will say that it wasn't until like a year and a half that I felt like it was fluent and we were both more effectively getting what we needed out of life. It did take some time, but I got to say that like, I mean, him for being four years old, like our life is really pretty easy. Waylon is still Waylon, right? Waylon is still getting into mischief because that's who he is as an individual. But generally speaking, we're communicating effectively and we're both getting what we need out of life. Okay. But with all of that work, it yields a clear communication and trust between me and the dogs. And that really opens up a lot of possibilities. So if I need to push the dog, do more aversive things that maybe they don't like, I have the whole bank of trust that I've been depositing into for their entire lives. So I think that that is something that really kind of gets missed when we're talking about like the framework of how I apply dog training is that people think that the dogs can just get away with things and we can never accomplish what we need to accomplish. And that couldn't be any further from the truth, right? Um, Dogs aren't getting away with things. Dogs are living happy lives. Humans are living happy lives and we're doing pretty much everything we need to do. But when you apply this framework, you have such a large deposit in your trust account that when you need to push the dog and do yucky things and withdraw from that, it's not a deal breaker. It's not doing like majorly damaging relationship to your dog. So 
There are a lot of reasons to follow this framework, but I think it's important to understand that when you follow this framework, there's more wiggle room for pushing in the future if we need to. So I want to give you an example and I will leave you on that. So those of you who are not familiar with me or not familiar with Waylon, um, Waylon's an American Staffordshire Terrier who is a wild animal. He always has been. He always will be. I love that about him. But he has a knack for finding porcupines. And despite my best efforts to prevent this, um, he was quilled by a porcupine again recently. Those of you who don't know, when dogs get quilled by porcupines, they typically will be sedated <laughs> and the quills will be removed. But despite the vet's best effort, they always they can't always get all of them. So a few days after the quilling, there are typically more quills that have to be removed. So I have the luxury of doing that. It hurts. Waylon doesn't want me to mess with his face, but I will say that I was able to do a level of pushing that obviously I wouldn't do in other circumstances, but I was able to push him and I wanted to find that. So I pushed him by, I essentially had to sit down, hold him and rip a quill out of his face. Prior to, I would probably say like last year this time, he definitely would have tried to bite me for that. But because of all of the trust and the work we've been doing following this exact framework, I was able to push him in that circumstance to get the desired outcome, then do some cookies after the fact, and it wasn't like a huge damager to our relationship. Okay, so I just want you to know that it's it's not all rainbows and puppies, right? Like you're going to have to push your dog sometimes. But by following this general framework, you will hopefully have enough trust in the bank that when you have to push the dog... It's not a deal breaker. I hope that this is making sense. Okay, everyone, that is my general framework for how I train dogs. I think you can absolutely follow that general framework. If you have any questions about quote unquote breaking rules, let's talk about it in the Facebook group. Um, if you're not already a part, we have a Disorderly Dogs Facebook group. There is a link to that in the show notes. Um, so that is all I have for you. Have a beautiful weekend and smooch those puppies for me. Reactive Dog Guardians. If your dog lunges, barks, generally loses it. The dogs, people, squirrels, skateboards, we have a free mini course just for you. Head over to agoodfeelingdogtraining.com, click free resource to get started on your reactive dog training journey today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.